in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at the opening seven verses of 2 Timothy this morning. It is so good to see you without anything blocking your face. You know, I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm just so thankful too because now you get to be reminded how good looking I am. But the truth is you've you already know that's not true because you've had to look at me without a mask as I've preached to you every week. But I get to look at you, and boy, I forgot how dashing Fred Creighton was. And, and it is so great to see how all of you are looking so wonderful. Dean Harrison, you look better than I've ever seen you. And, and, and it's just so good to see us all today. Isn't it wonderful to see some of this lifting that we can start to walk back into this and I'm so grateful for this and what a great morning to be able to report that amazing news about Annie Armstrong isn't that incredible and and I was just thrilled to be able to see that shared and and then to be able to hear from our choir it was just great and that was not by design the Lord just opened the door I didn't know until Monday that the city was going to rate lift the ordinance and give us the ability to feel like there's some more freedom there, and it just so happened that it was the Sunday that following Easter that our choir was able to sing. It's just been a glorious day. I'm just so glad already for the Lord's done, and I'm excited for what he's going to do as we open up his word. Second Timothy chapter 1 is an incredible text, and I'm so glad we get to go there this morning as we're dealing with the three ancient enemies that the gospel addresses all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about it two weeks ago, the first enemy being guilt. As if you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin and ate of the forbidden fruit, that which was not introduced in creation was, as the Bible says, that after they took and went against the Lord, their eyes were open. And that's how it describes the entrance of this ancient enemy of guilt. And then after their eyes are open, the text says that they realized their nakedness and they covered it which is how the Bible shows the introduction of this second enemy that we talked about last week, which is shame. And then this morning we get to talk about the third part of that. It's when they heard God come to them in the cool of the day, walking through the garden, they hid from him in fear. That's when fear entered. Before Genesis 3, you don't find it in creation. There was nothing in the garden from which you needed to be afraid. You had to be weary of a cunning serpent, and we see the effect of what he had done. But there was nothing really to be protected from until sin entered into the picture. And ever since, we have had to face the reality of a life infringed upon by the enemy of fear. Now, thankfully, the gospel answers that as we've been looking over the last several weeks as to how the gospel speaks into these enemies in our lives. And this morning, we're going to do that as we turn in the Bible to 2 Timothy. But I'm just so thankful that we get to spend our time here this morning. What a text this is to address this enemy of fear and to do it through the lens of the gospel. And, and as we look at this text, I just want you to see how this is a book that the gospel is saturated through and through. In fact, if there is a way for me to give you an understanding of 2 Timothy, I want you to think of it this way. This is an, a Waffle House hash browns kind of letter for us today. Because when you open up this letter, it is scattered, smothered, and covered all throughout with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
think about that when we read these verses, beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which in is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Have you ever been gripped by fear? Have you ever felt that awful feeling that though you think God has called you to certain purposes to fulfill in this life, you wonder in your heart of hearts, whether or not you will truly have what it takes to make good on those things that the Lord has called you to do. Well, if you've ever felt these things and just wrestled with the fear of not being enough, or if you've wondered what to do with those moments that you go to the doctor to hear a PET scan reading and you feel like your heart's going to stop, or those times in your life if you've got children that your kids are out past curfew, and instead of getting a call from them saying everything's okay, for whatever the reason, at 10.30 at night, you get an unexpected ring on your door. We know what it is to live in fear. This past year has been a year in which we've had to face fear. It's so many different turns. We've had to realize the mortality of this season that we're in. Hearing reports on the news that resemble reports that you might have heard in a history class growing up of the dreadful bubonic plague that came from rats on, 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 on seagoing vessels that spread and ended up killing a third of the known population. And we've wondered, are those the things that we're going to have to face here? These are the kind of things that we've had to grapple with. We've seen our culture change around us. All of this has unearthed so many things that have been lying under the surface. We wonder, will life ever be like it ever was before? This is why this text is so fitting and instructive to us today. And this letter is for us. Now, as we open up our page, the page to this text, just know that this is the Apostle Paul writing his letter to Timothy, a man who he deeply loves. But make no mistake, the man who receives the letter is nothing like the man who has written it. Paul was an old warrior at this point. He is writing from a winter cold dungeon. He is awaiting an executioner's axe. And the only thing he wants to do in those moments is not be worried about what's coming next, but to write a letter of encouragement to his young protege and ask if it at all possible that his protege find him so he can receive the parchments and the word of God in his book so that he can study as he awaits his death. That's Paul. But that's not Timothy. Timothy was young. Timothy was inexperienced. 
rather than run boldly to the battle line, Timothy wants to shrink back and use his youthfulness as an excuse for inactivity. Timothy has a weak constitution. He has frequent ailments and a weak stomach. He was timid by nature and was naturally shy. Does any of this sound familiar to you? And yet, Paul undoubtedly believed in him. Paul thanked God for him. God made Timothy who he was, and God supplied him with all that he needed and then more so that Timothy could accomplish everything and even more than he could have ever hoped or imagined. And as we read about this exchange between Paul and Timothy, know that it's given to us so that I can share these things with you. Can I convey to you the same confidence that Paul has in Timothy? I thank God for you. I want you to hear me, church. I believe in you. And if you are in Christ this morning, I want you to know that I have no doubt that God has supplied you and will be faithful to give you all that you need so that you, like Timothy, can do imaginably more than you ever hoped for or could imagine. So as we dig into this smothered and scattered and covered gospel verse, verses about what it is to live your life free from this ancient enemy of fear, I want you to think of particularly verses 6 and 7 in this following light. That God has supplied Christians with all the resources that we need to overcome fear when it comes to us in this life. God has already given us all that we need. And we're going to see that as we unpack these verses. Now, you can't understand verse 7, the last verse that I read this morning, without first understanding how it fits and is connected with verse 6. And the best defense against fear in your life is like that deodorant commercial. It's the best offense, right? And God has called us to live our lives in an offensive manner. So when you read verse 6 about how we are to fan fan into flame the gift that God has given us, just as Timothy is called to do the same, can't you hear Paul telling Timothy, now is the time, young man. The battle is raging. God is calling you to take the hill. And from the time Timothy has received this call to ministry, Paul says, you have been ordained I have laid hands on you. Spiritual strength has been given to you to fulfill your calling for such a time as this. And Timothy, though you might be afraid and though you might wonder if you're going to bow out and not finish this thing that you're called to, know that the embers and fire that the Holy Spirit has given you, they are still ablaze in your life. Fan them into flame and go out there and serve the Lord. And that is what he's called to do. He's called to take the hill. He's calling us to do the same, to live with boldness and courage, not because of how awesome we are, like Timothy is awesome. We know that that's not true, and if we're looking in the mirror honestly, (laughs) you know there's some awesomeness that's lacking in us. But it's not that we are awesome. The awesomeness is the God that is in us. There's no reason to live according to a fear of timidity, which is the literal translation of the word that we have, fear. It's a word found in ancient literature that describes a cowardly soldier who flees from the battle when it comes. 
This isn't what God's calling us to. He's calling us to live according to Romans 1.16. Not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. So God has given us the spirit, but not of fear. But then there's three things that is defined by power and love and self-control. So we're going to look at that this morning. These are the resources that God's given us to fight against our fear. Aren't you grateful that God has taken the time to do this for us? I'll never forget when I was a kid, senior in high school, we had every Christmas the living Christmas tree for everyone in Douglas County to come and watch. We had several different times that we showed it. It was so much fun. I remember that last year, before I went off to college, I got a part. Now, I don't remember trying out for it. I think as the preacher's kid, you just get labeled with parts. And my job was to be the angel Gabriel. Now, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Can you all imagine me as Gabriel? It required quite the transformation. I had to show up about two hours before the production to make it into the makeup room because they had to turn my face into this white complexion. They had to put silver in my hair. I had to put on the angel wings and put my gown on that went from head to toe in white and in this gold trim that was all throughout. And this is what I had to do to rehearse my part. More than anything else, I had to build my strength to hold out the arms because if I did not hold out the arms, the wings that were over my arms would have creases in them and would, believe it or not, let people know I wasn't actually an angel. So I had rehearsed the part, and I stood up that day, and my excitement overcame me in all the episodes. They tried to tell me to do otherwise. I just couldn't. I looked at Mary, and I looked at the shepherds at that living Christmas tree, and I hollered with as much anger as I could muster, do not be afraid. And everyone got scared. Can I just tell you that I hope I have learned from my error? I do not want to just stand before you this morning and holler, don't be afraid, and expect it to be effectual. I want us to understand how God's word has equipped us and readied us for everything we need so that we have the resources that are forged in certain hope that you don't have to live with fear. And the first resource is the power that is spoken of in this text of resurrection. We don't have to be ashamed of it. It's the power of God into salvation for those who believe. And whenever you think about the power of God, the place that I see it displayed with abundant and absolute clarity is the power that we see on display in the resurrection of Jesus. This is resurrection power. And when you think about the resurrection, can I just make a few assertions for you? I don't know where you have been maybe in a sea of belief that maybe all that Christianity is about is a bunch of moralistic truths, some sort of parabolic tales that helps you live a better life if you just follow them and you've just taken all the Bible to mean some allegory or some metaphor for some other deeper way of living. Can I tell you something that is unique about Christianity that you aren't a Christian if you don't understand this? The resurrection actually happened. 
You can count on it as true as the fact that we are here gathered today, right now. The resurrection happened. The Bible speaks of it as that Jesus rose on the third day because it was time stamped. Because this was a literal event. It had witnesses of Jesus and everything that happened after he was raised from the dead. And all of this speaks to the fact that God has come to us. Outside of the limitations that we feel of time and of nature. And God, who is transcendent over all of those things, has intervened. He's provided a way. And no matter how hard life gets, we can know that there is a certainty in which we can trust. Christ is not dead. He is risen, just as he has said. He is more powerful than any force that this life has to bring. So as Paul reflects upon the certainty of resurrection in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of resurrection. Tim Keller is completely right when he speaks of this verse, and this is what he says. It is one thing to know about the resurrection. It is another thing to know of the power of the resurrection, to know it personally, to know it experientially. Keller goes on to say that resurrection is not just a stupendous, magical trick. It is an invasion. It remakes our lives. It changes everything from the inside out of who we are by the power of Christ at work within us. Do we understand, church, of the power of resurrection? Just stop and think about the fact that it did happen, and that power is that which resides within you. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the incomparably great power of the resurrection is that which changes us. It's that which is inside of us. I love the way that John Updike, a wonderful poet, speaks of this truth. Just listen. This is a lengthy poem, but it's worth reading. Make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's disillusion did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths of enfuddled eyes and the eleven apostles. It was his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a side painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but a vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. 
Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. This is the power of the gospel. It happened. Church, of what do we need to ever be afraid? The same God that raised Jesus from the dead gave us resurrection power. It is in us. That is what fuels our lives. It fuels our ministry. It changes everything about who we are. Every part of your life, what happens in your home, what happens for you vocationally, how you spend your money, everything about your life is forever changed and influenced by this reality. Christ was raised from the dead. That resurrection power lives in you. Death is the greatest enemy. It's been conquered forever. Church, there is nothing to fear. So we don't have to ever be afraid. We're not given a spirit of fear. We're given a spirit of power, resurrection power. That's the first resource in which God has given us to live. But there's another resource, divine source love, power, and then it speaks of love. And when the Bible talks about love, it is way more than just a feeling. It's so much more than that. This love is a love that is always at work for the best interest of someone else. This is a love that holds our church in unity. And it is a miraculous thing. I just want you to think about it. How in the world can people of vast different backgrounds, of vast, vastly different preferences, all come together and love each other in the bonds of Christ, if not for this incredible God-given love that exceeds anything we're capable of in our own effort? It's the only thing that holds us together as a church is the bond of love that comes to us in Christ. It is greater than anything else. This is gospel-given truth. Just like in the first point, the power from God is something you cannot muster. The love from God is something in yourself you do not have. It is a divine source love that is greater than anything you can create or be responsible for. And God gives it to us to come against fear. Oh, how deeply we need it. Now, it tells us wonderful things in passages like 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So wherever there's not perfect love, there's the opportunity for fear. I would say there's the existence of fear. But where there is perfect love found in Christ, fear is dispelled. It only comes in Him. Now, let me be very clear on this. This doesn't tell us the how this is true. It tells us the effect of love. There is a bit of a mystery involved in this to me. I don't know how perfect love casts out fear. I just know that it does. I just know that it does. And it cannot exist together. It's just like light and darkness. The darkness is always overcome by the light. Love always overcomes fear. So wherever you are afraid, there's not love. Do you see how this works? And these things go together. When I think about the how, though, the, the, the greatest way I can figure out how these things go together is this. That in Christ, no matter what you do in the future or what you have done in the past, 
you are accepted by God, and that acceptance from him, no matter what, is something that just changes everything. And when we live that way before God, and we live that way with each other, accepting each other no matter what, it changes everything. So perfect love casts out fear. They cannot go together. They cannot coexist. And this is a divine source love that only comes from God. So we have power in the resurrection. We have love that comes to us from God. And there's another tool God gives us to fight fear. Here he describes it as self-control. I love that word. Don't we need that? Another way to think of it is to be level-headed. You know, whenever I think about this, I'm reminded of a sermon I heard preached when I was a kid by an evangelist who talked about the African safari and a rabbit out in Africa, the African hare that would come up against the mighty lion. And he used it to tell and illustrate the point of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Have you ever heard that verse, you know that verse, that the devil prowls the land around your adversary like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and he got really dramatic. He told about the hare, he talked about how cute it was, how it was out there in the middle of the safari, minding its own business, and then comes the stalking lion, and he tells this great elaborate story about how all the lion has to do is roar, and what happens internally to the rabbit in its fear of the lion's roar is it self-induces a heart attack and just goes plump. And when I heard that story as a kid, I thought, man, that's a great story. That really preaches. Can I tell you, I have never been able to absolutely affirm that that's what happens to a rabbit. Maybe it does. It induces a heart attack as a defense mechanism so it doesn't have to suffer when the lion's eating it. I know that's a vivid picture, but I don't know how that's any other way to put it. Maybe that's true. But you know what's true? I can't fact, fact, fact find that anywhere and tell you that's what happens to a rabbit. All I know, church, is that's what happens to me. The when the enemy roars, if I'm not grounded in the gospel, trusting in him, I am paralyzed in fear. And I'm easy pickings. And the text makes it abundantly clear that the way that we go against the fearful things in our life is to fall upon the Spirit of God in us that gives us power, it gives us love, and it gives us self-control, this God-given ability to rise and transcend above the circumstances so that there are no ripples in the water. We are not tossed to and fro by every false doctrine and cunning and devising schemes as it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 but God gives you the ability not to be paralyzed but just to live your life with an unflappable demeanor in him don't you see how we need that in the season that we're in there is so much around us right now that if we allow it can bring out a volcanic eruption in our hearts but I don't know about you, but me erupting on someone who's a non-believer never helped me lead them to Jesus. But trusting in the Lord to give me a steadfastness and love for them in every interaction, 
Now that's a different story. So the way that we fight our fear is to trust in the spirit that God has given us. A resurrection power that comes from God that's not from us. That's the gospel power that we're given. A gospel love that is sourced in God that's beyond which any of us are capable. And this incredible ability to keep an unflappable demeanor as God lets us rise above the circumstances and just trust him all the way through. This is what we need. You know, tell you stories about my girls and when you've got four daughters there are some things that Hannah gets to enjoy being the youngest that you know she gets a little attention there's there's times that I'm thankful that she's the youngest and her big sisters talk about how cute she is but there are also some times that she doesn't get the benefit that some of the older ones have had because there's things she wants to do that just to be honest they're kind of over and one of those things is sitting down and watching The Wizard of Oz for nine hours. Her sisters have watched it. They've been there and done that and bought the T-shirt. And Hannah wants to see it. And it's hard as I'll get out to get them to want to watch it with her. Don't you love that story? You know, when Frank Baum wrote that story, it's a great tale. Dorothy, when that tornado picks her up and lands her in Oz, She's in a bad situation, isn't she? All she wants to do is get home. And though it's a magical place that she is, and she's encountering all kinds of people, she just doesn't know her way back. Somehow she gets to wear those really cool slippers, but man, she's just trying to get back home. She's homesick. And along the way, she meets her little friends. You know who they are? That scarecrow that doesn't have a brain. That lion who, or that 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 tin man who just doesn't have a heart and a lion who's terrified of everything or so they think and they go all their way to the emerald city looking for a wizard to show them how they can get back home and man whenever i think of that story i think of so many people who so many times land in my office not understanding that in Christ, there is something they have access to that otherwise they'd never have. Because when they finally make it to that wizard, they find out that he's not really a wizard, he's just a dude. But he says, I might not be a very good wizard, but I'm a pretty good man, and let me tell you what's true. And even though the scarecrow couldn't see it while he was going through it, which, by the way, church, isn't this the way life is? So many times when we're in the throes of life, we just can't see what's actually happening around us because we're so focused on what we're going through. We just can't experience the fullness of it. But the scarecrow finally understands that it's because of his brains they've been able to make it through their journey. And it's because of the heart of a tinman that ironically can't even go five minutes without having to get out the oil can to free up his rusting face because he cries so much. He actually has a heart. And that cowardly lion, it's because of his courage they make it all the way to the Emerald City. And even for Dorothy, the whole time she had those slippers. And the wizard just tells him, don't you see? All of you have made your way here. Here's the gospel truth of the Wizard of Oz. 
the whole time you already had what you needed and didn't even realize it. And that is the message that Paul gives to Timothy. Let me remind you, Timothy, of that which the Holy Spirit has given you from the time you've been ordained to fulfill this incredible calling that God has given you. Fan into flame that which you already have. And this gift that you've been given, this spirit that is in you in Christ Jesus, gives you the power and the love and the self-discipline to conquer all your fears and to walk in a way that pleases him. If you know Christ, you already have all that you need to overcome your fear. The power of the resurrection is given to you. It's in you. The love that only comes from him. God gave that to you too. And you have self-control when you trust in him that makes you unflappable. Come what may. This is the answer to our fear. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And as we get ready to sing, so thankful in a strange sense for fear and for guilt and for shame because all of these things when they face it show us how desperately we need God. And the only place to turn when you feel the effects of guilt, shame, and fear is to the gospel. It has the answer of all that we need. As we turn to Christ, he just gives us a supply that we can't find anywhere else. If you're here today without a relationship with Jesus, won't you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that resurrection power that raised Jesus will be given to you to walk in a new way. You become one of his children. Do you need Christ? I tell you, there's fear at every turn, and it's so easy to get overcome by it. And if we're not careful, it can paralyze us and keep us from fulfilling God's purposes in our lives. But you've been given the power that you need. The love of God is within you for other people. The self-control that's necessary to not get overcome by your circumstances, it's there. If you'll simply employ those things that God has already given you. What a gift. What a reminder of our need for Jesus. This is why we need the gospel every day. You can't go a second without applying the word of God to your life so that you can walk in the love and the power and the self-control that he brings. If there's any other thing in call in this invitation for believers, it's this. Get in the word every day. Let it be your source of hope. Need the word of God and the gospel like you need water. It's something you cannot invent. It's something that God has given you, and you need it every day in which to live. I just invite you to live in the fullness of a regular, intimate relationship with Jesus. Father, I thank you for the hope of Christ. I thank you for the gospel, how it answers all of our needs, and pray that this morning, as we see your answer to our fear, we will just cling to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.